Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland, and Havoc Brew Supply, your one-stop shop for your brewery's needs. Check them out at hophavoc.com. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am joined by Jim Bachman, the Director of Communications at Grow and Fortify. And we are going to talk about all the Maryland Craft Beverage events that are coming up over the next few months, because there are a bunch of them. Um, do you want to real quick first just remind people what Grow and Fortify is? Sure. Uh, and also, thank- hello. Hi, thanks for having <laughs> me on. Um, Grow and Fortify is a uh, small firm based out of Annapolis that focuses on uh, trying to make the competitive landscape for value-added agriculture businesses and craft beverage businesses in the state of Maryland a little bit more even. We want the landscape to allow small businesses to pursue the things that they want to pursue, whether that's making really great uh, products from things that they're growing on their farms and converting those into profitable uh, items for sale or... um, converting those uh, those raw materials that they're growing on those farms into things that can be put into the uh, the product stream for products like beer, wine, and spirits that can be produced here in the state. We're also hired by the state's three craft alcohol trade associations, the Brewers Association of Maryland, Maryland Wineries Association, and the Maryland Distillers Guild uh, to manage their trade associations, help their boards uh, maintain the direction that they're focused in and work as an intermediary between the lobbying teams that we have secured and our members so that we're ensuring that every legislative session we have something to talk about that is promoting this industry, the craft beverage industry, uh, and also giving a nod to the history of agriculture that has provided a great foundation for craft beverages. Awesome. Yeah. Now, now that that reminder is out of way, also like, some concrete examples would be they essentially uh, support, plan, and do everything for a lot of the events that you may have gone to, such as the Maryland Craft Beer Festival in Frederick, the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, and a couple of the events that we're going to be talking about now. And I, mean, if you just follow any of those organizations, there are plenty of things that they're doing all year round yeah and then we, they provide educational resources for the breweries distilleries and wineries and um and just all kinds of good stuff yeah we do a lot of fun stuff we actually host a uh, biannual um i guess that's biannual every other year right thing sure yes <laughs> i have bi-weekly with people and they say doesn't that mean twice a week and i'm like bi-weekly to me always means once every other week so yeah make I sure so every other year we yeah. host a really great um summit for value-added agriculture stakeholders. So we actually bring folks who are popping up small businesses in the value-added agriculture space together. We tend to do it out in uh, Ken Island, and it's awesome. It's a great time. It brings all these really cool small businesses with really innovative approaches to how to keep their farms in Maryland profitable. Um, we bring them all together. They share their stories. They talk about the things that they're doing, and it, it it's one of those things that invigorates new generations of farmers and landowners to think about how they can turn their properties or their ideas into something that they can pass down to their next generation without necessarily being tied to what we consider to be, you know, the more historical or traditional farming opportunities. Um, Dairy farms, corn, soybeans. You you can get pretty far with those commodities, but turning those commodities into something on your farm that will then make more money for your family 
that's really what this is all about. So what is the first event or happening that we want to discuss? Yeah, let's jump right into uh, craft beverage events. So uh, this might be coming out after uh, tomorrow. It definitely comes out okay. after tomorrow. Well, then we will. Uh, have, it comes out uh, next Friday. We will have had fun seeing you at the <laughs> Hops and Harvest Festival in Columbia. Um, that's a great event that we partner with CoFestCo out of Howard County. Um, the event takes place at the Symphony Woods at Meriwether Park. It's great. Features beer, wine, spirits. If you were not there for the 2023 event, make sure you keep your eyes open for 2024. They get a ton of great producers throughout the state, really good vendors, great music, and it's just a big party. Uh, Great time to kind of interact face-to-face, learn about what's going on with some of those businesses, and just see everybody that you've uh, met over the years at other events. So that's the first one that kind of kicks off our fall season. The... that one's cool because it encompasses everything. Yeah, the yep. people from like beer, wine, and spirits. So with the, oh no, I think even the original one I went to forever ago, they had they were able to do cocktails, right? Or they was were. so yeah. So yep. they've always had you could get small cocktails and glasses of wine and yeah, and it's a an beer and really awesome opportunity yeah. for people to buy stuff to take home with them. You know, we see a lot of people leaving out of there with bags of you know bottles of spirits that they've purchased and yeah. things like that. And it's it's a great opportunity. It's a really cool event, and we're very fortunate to still be in partnership with them. We've been with them since day one. Uh, the Brewers Association of Maryland has been a partner, and it's just worked out stupendously. So we're very happy about that. All right, so that happened last week. Yep. Um, so look forward to it for next year because it, it is every year. I think what they only took like one year off. maybe. Yeah, they did COVID, one year through COVID. But other than that, it's been uh, it's been a reliable event since I think the first one was 2015. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, it's done really, that was really like, well. That was well, I think I went to the second one, but Where it was, it was still in the parking like, lot yeah. of the Whole Foods. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they, they but it was very convenient because there was also a hotel right in that parking lot. Bingo. So. <laughs> made it made it easy for everybody. Yeah. And there was tons of parking. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a great, great festival. We're really happy with the the partnership that we have with them. Can't say enough about Chad and the team at CoFestCo. Um, so check them out for for next year. Hops and Harvest Fest dot com. Um, then we're going to roll right into some really fun Maryland beer stuff. We've got the 2023 Maryland Craft Beer Competition coming up at the end of the month. Uh, that competition uh, has grown over the years. We see great participation from breweries. We get tons of entries. Last year we had uh, a record-setting amount of attending brewer- or participating breweries and of entrance, um, and we ended up having a great beer win from Old Mother. So we really like kind of seeing the uh, the competition kind of boil between the members. That's kind of fun to watch (laughs) the breweries kind of like prepare. I had a text message with Nick the other day from Old Mother, and I was like, oh, you know, wondering, you guys aren't going to be at Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, wondering what you're going to do if you were to win the trophy again. He's like, well, we'll win it. So (laughs) So it's really a Nick answer. You know, it's it's great (laughs) that uh, that people have the pride that they want to take that trophy home with them. It's a big keg with a cup on top of it. We have hops draping the sides of it. It's a it's a great time, and it makes people happy just to have a good time and have that kind of competitive camaraderie that you're used to. Um, so our friends at 1623 Brewing actually host the competition for us. It gives us ample storage for cold beer uh, so that we're ensuring that every beer that gets presented to a judge is stored appropriately and is served appropriately. We get uh, BJCP certified judges from all around the state to come out and 
they spend an entire day. You don't just open it up to untapped uh, tickers? No, no. We, we don't usually <laughs> just look for the uh, the one cap raiders and ask them to come in. Um, we, we do have a little bit of a different kind of approach to how the competition is handled compared to some of the other big beer competitions. In a lot of cases, a beer competition or a wine competition or a spirits competition is going to be something where the judges are going through a, uh, a card that has, you know, all the specifics about what that beer, wine, or spirit is supposed to be, and they score it. With this one, we actually have judges that are doing something called table consensus. So they'll go through and they'll talk about each one of the entries, discuss what the intent of the beer was, how it matches up to the style, and that allows you to have kind of a different range of uh, qualifications for judges but it also gives you something more than just a hard number. And I think that brings our competition a lot of really great potential because we all know that kind of the creativity of brewers is outpacing the ability for competition the, yeah. hosts to be able to make to sure fit that it they're, into a box. Yeah. yeah. How are you embracing and, and encompassing all of these different stylistic uh, interpretations if we're keeping very rigid rules in place? Um, you know, there's certainly a reason for that rigidity. It's what keeps quality and, um, keeps people kind of on the right path, but having a table consensus option allows us to say, Hey, objectively and subjectively, this beer outperforms this beer. Um, and we can talk about why. And that conversation I think is really engaging for the judges. It gives them an opportunity to really take time with those beers and, and, and understand what the beer was about. And then you get great results out of it. Uh, and that the winners of that are announced at one of the other big events you have coming yep. up. Yep, so November the 4th at Canton Waterfront Park in Baltimore, we are returning with the 2023 Baltimore Craft Beer Festival. That event goes from noon to 5, and one of the cool things, um, I mean, the whole event's cool, but one of the really cool things about that event is live judging of the final table. So like the top 10 or 15 winners, however many end up in that final category, um, they'll all get brought out to a panel of final table judges. So like judges who are the highest qualified out of the um, whole competition. And they'll judge those entries in the middle of the event in a tent that guests can come and watch and talk to them and, and take part in the action. And they'll determine who the best in show winner will be. And then we will announce them live from the stage at Baltimore Craft Beer Festival. So you get the chance to, you know, go and celebrate with those uh, winning brewers. You know, every year that we announce the winner there, there always tends to be like a little pocket of people that run from the stage to yeah. the brewery. And then they want to hang out there and, you know, drink a beer out of the cup or touch the cup or do whatever they want to do. Yeah. But uh, it, it makes it exciting and it makes it fun. You know, it's a little bit more engaging than just saying, hey we have an announcement to make, you know, when we get to do it in front of uh, the fans of Maryland beer and the people who support this industry, it makes it a lot, lot more uh, special to us. It's kind of treated like a Stanley cup sort of uh yeah, sort of deal. We don't know that it's made it to any like adult night spots or anything like that. <laughs> like the Stanley cup is reputed to do, but uh, it definitely becomes a thing that I know that the breweries celebrate having in their tasting rooms or in their brewery. Um, and people have fun with it. I do. I do believe last year there was quite a uh, quite a fun series of photos that came out of Old Mother that almost did make it look like they were doing a Stanley Cup thing with the cup. <laughs> if I were if I recall correctly, I think yeah. we had Sean with his shirt off holding it. And yes, I all remember kinds of fun those. stuff. They're so. funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great, and you know, to us, that's what that's what matters. We want the competition to mean something about the quality 
of beer that's being put out in this state because there are incredible breweries operating here. But we also want it to be something that gives you a reason to either engage in kind of a more playful uh, manner with some of your colleagues or give you a reason to really tell your story and show who you are. And I think that the breweries like that. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Great beer starts with great ingredients. At Havoc Brewing Supply, they offer a wide selection of premium hops, fruit purees, malt, cleaning supplies, and more. Their family-owned business is dedicated to helping you create the perfect beer. Havoc offers flexible contracts, lightning-fast shipping, and unrivaled customer service. Join the Havoc Brewing Supply family and elevate your brewing game. Shop small, brew big, grow together. Visit HavocBrewingSupply.com today to learn more. Um, so which which one which event do you want to move to now? More on Let's dive into Baltimore Craft just a little bit because this year, uh, you know, things are things are getting tough for this industry generally. Um we know that there's some economic pressure not only on businesses but also on the consumer. Uh, we know that the industry as a whole is seeing some really, really stringent competition uh, between businesses that are basically just getting by. As healthy as this industry is, these businesses are still small businesses, and they're they're facing some pretty, pretty big problems right now. Um, we have consumption numbers sliding a little bit. We have situations where people aren't spending as much money when they're going in because the economy's kicking kind of every consumer while they're down. And, uh, you know, inflation's not helping when it comes to the cost of goods that are going into all these products that are being made. So the industry relies on having this engagement with consumers, this opportunity to say, hey, these are our products, come support us. Um, or support us when you're going out to the liquor store because we know there are 9,000, 10,000 options on yeah. the shelf, you know? And growing. And and the shelves aren't growing. Just the number of bottles and cans that they're able yeah. to stuff on the shelf seems to be growing. So, um, you know, these events really serve as an opportunity for these breweries to showcase what they do best, to make a friend and make a, a lifelong um, customer, and to start promoting everything that's going on. Um, so we are encouraging craft beer enthusiasts in uh, Maryland, D.C., and Pennsylvania, and Virginia to come out to this event, learn more about what these Maryland brewers are doing, try their great beers. All of the tickets that we offer for the event, other than the designated driver ticket, uh, include samples. We don't sit back and say, hey, you get three samples and three tickets or anything like that. We let people sample at their leisure, enjoy what they want to enjoy, uh, try the things that they think that they're going to want to try. I was recently cleaning out a desk and found a bunch of the 
the plastic chips from oh, from like <laughs> from Spring Fest years yeah, and years ago, back in the day when it wasn't unlimited, when it, you had to have the chips instead of yeah. unlimited. You know, and th- there's some merit to that. It 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 ends up kind of uh, slowing the rate at which uh, breweries are just giving away beer because there's not a whole lot of return for them to come out there. These breweries come out there on their own volition to promote themselves, and it's at their expense. Uh, and that's what I think is kind of cool about the festivals that we've put together is that these festivals, Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, Maryland Craft Beer Festival, Love Thy Beer, all these BAM festivals, they promote this association directly. So every single ticket that's purchased for that event is going to offset the cost of the event. And then any money that we make is going right back to the association so that they're able to go and make a more impactful argument through good lobbyists when yeah. we go in and have a legislative discussion. We're able to be- get better promotional materials. We're able to update our website more regularly with you know, technology upgrades that are necessary and make sure that this industry is always represented in a way that's competitive and is shining a light on what we're doing. Um, you don't get that necessarily with every beer event out there. Some of the beer events that are out there benefit a for-profit uh, business or uh, may benefit a brewery um, or a wholesaler. That's all cool. Yeah. But this one's unique because all of that money is going right back into the um, into the association. It's going right into the industry, and it's offsetting costs that would become um, burdens for the members of the associations. Yeah, and the, it, it's also awesome in that, like, it's definitely one where there's a lot. Like, rarely is there not a representative from the brewery serving the beer right like it it's they might have some volunteers or stuff with them so that they can go and mingle throughout the festival also but it's almost always manned by the owner of the brewery the brewers themselves and people directly tied to the brewery i think that says a couple of things about the events that we're putting together a because it's for the association and these members are what holds this association up it's who staffs the board of the association you know the the composition of these uh, associations and guilds is all at the root the member so when they know that they are benefiting the association that they're paying into and they want to see the support return to them they love coming out to these events because it puts them right there they get to celebrate with all their friends and colleagues but they also get to have that opportunity again to say this is why we're here this is what we're doing and it's important to us. And I think seeing brewery owners and taproom managers or distribution managers, whoever might be uh, the representative from that brewery standing in front of you telling you about their product, that sometimes makes a bigger impact than just somebody who can say, hey, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, we love the volunteers, but that's a different impact. Yeah. Talking to a volunteer who says, oh, yeah, you know, I live in the area and they asked me to come out and do this is a whole different story than hey, I'm Jim and I own this brewery. Try my great beer. Thank you very much. Um, and I think that's cool. Yeah, people love to talk to the person responsible for what they're drinking. That's it. It's a weird industry in that way. It really is. You know, <laughs> you, most people don't need to uh, need to meet the Keebler elves to go yeah. out and buy, <laughs> you know, like uh, E.L. Fudge cookies. But yeah. um, with beer, it's like if you if you can build that personal relationship or a little bit of rapport with either the sales rep, the manager, or the owner, I think it makes you feel like you hold a special place uh, in that brewery, and and it becomes part of your story. 
Yeah, I guess it's I guess it just plays into so much like beer is such a social drink and activity that could just tied in with being social that probably adds that added level of actually wanting to know the people producing it yeah i don't i don't doubt that at all and i i think that's 100 percent accurate um so what sorts of things can people expect this year at a lot of the all the same things use have music performances food trucks Live music. We've got three great bands coming. We've got Natalie Brooks band. We've got the Derailers. We've got Jokies and uh, I can't remember the rest of the band's name. Um, but Jokies band is great. Um, they were there last year. They had a party happening at the stage. So uh, if you like to dance, you like good funky music, come out and do that. Uh, it's the Jokies and the Late Bloomer band. That's what it's called. Um, so we've got these three great bands. Did they play at the Maryland Craft Beer Festival? They play at Maryland Craft Beer Festival. So yeah, we've had them a couple of times because man, the crowd moves when those guys are up there. So they're fun. Yeah. They're really nice people too. They make it fun. They make it exciting. Um, I don't think that they were at the 23 Maryland Craft Beer Festival, but they were at 22. Um, the first year that we had that new parking lot, they played over there. I I definitely remember introducing them and them being super cool people. Big, big band, uh, in terms of number of members. Yeah. They're all over the place. Big band in terms of sound and, uh, personality, they get people (laughs) hopping and it's a, it's a really good time. So if you haven't gotten your tickets to that event yet and you want to come out and taste, you know, for more than 50 breweries, there's going to be probably 200 beers there to sample. Um, you know, half, half a dozen to a dozen food trucks and a ton of vendors. And then you want this great music and the opportunity to uh, witness the winners of the Maryland Craft Beer Competition take their title. Uh, get your tickets to the Baltimore Craft Beer Fest. It's uh, baltimorecraftbeerfestival.com. We have two ticket tiers. We've got the Beer Geek tier that gets people in an hour early to the event. I'm sorry, an hour and a half early to the event. Uh, you come in at noon, you get ahead of the crowd, you get the opportunity to sample some of the limited releases and exclusive beers that'll be there without having to wait in such long lines. And then at one thirty, it opens up to our tasting pass holders, the general admission folks, and they're going to roll through and that's when the lines will start. That's when the party will really get going and uh, it's going to be a blast. The um, w- Will there be any of those buses that have been in the past or is that not? So we... We have worked on the BAM bus structure several times. Um, historically, there have been a couple of uh, laughable moments before Grown Fortify <laughs> got involved with the Brewers Association of Maryland with how buses worked coming all the way out from Western Maryland to Baltimore. It's amazing what traffic does, even on a Saturday, and yeah. when you have long stretches of interstate. So um, we have run into times where people, you know, pay the upgraded they get they get a uh, a bus rider to any of these events gets the vip pass and they get the the bus ride which is great it's super convenient it's safe it's a good option for people but they're expensive to put on like the buses are expensive yeah. to secure and if we don't fill them all the way then we have basically a loss that we're taking on the bus and in those situations for a nonprofit business it's very tough for us to be able to say yeah we can afford to do that over and over and over again so what we've done is we've pulled members who thinks that they are able to uh, fill a bus with their guests or their fans, and we have some success. We've got some really great success from, like, independent brewing company. They can fill a bus to come to Frederick like there's nobody's business, <laughs> and they do a hell of a job yeah. at it. Uh, but we have other other places where people are like, oh, you know, it might be a little more convenient for me to drive somewhere else or 
you know, the, the brewery that's willing to host may not be the most accessible. So for this event this year, we do not have any buses scheduled. Um, if we hear from consumers that yes, that we need a bus from Frederick, then, you know, we're obviously going to respond to that yeah. by trying to accommodate that. It, it, it It's one of those things that seems like it's always, well, I mean, it's definitely a great idea. And there's always people who are like, yeah, yeah, I would do that. And then never actually follow through right. to get per Cause I feel like so many like festivals I've seen where they, survey or talk about organizing some sort of bus or thing then it always falls apart because there's just not enough people to to cover the cost of the transportation because it's not cheap to hire a bus to i have I, I can't say that i've been to too many beer events across the country where buses are like top of mind to anybody yeah. nor are they something that i see offered very often so we were kind of in a unique space being able to offer the bam bus um we think it's a great idea. We love it. We really wish that we could ensure that each one of them would sell out because yeah. it, it's a great opportunity and it and it checks off all the boxes. It's a it's a responsible thing for us to be able to say, "Hey, we offer this." Uh, we think that that's great because we don't have any desire to see anybody, you know, over imbibe and potentially yeah. leave an event. Um, also, we know that it's kind of a pain to find parking in some communities, so. If you can get on a bus and get right up to the gate, that makes life a lot easier. Uh, but it's a great it's a great thing that we've we've done, and we look forward to doing it again in the future. Do you have um, any recollection of what food trucks and stuff will be there? Uh, is that too in the weeds? That's a little bit in the weeds. Uh, I actually just got the update this morning with a list of like fifteen vendors to yeah. update on the website, so that'll be happening this afternoon. Uh, so by the time this comes out, we'll have a list of food trucks on the website. We're going to have our vendors on there. Uh, but our list of attending breweries is great. We have some really great representation from breweries who are old, not old, but, uh, you know, heritage brands from this industry who have been around some of the founders of the Brewers Association. We've got ones that are left. Yeah, we've got Heavy Seas will be there. We've got Brewers Art, Brewers Alley. Like we've got a really great lineup, Pub Dog. We've got this lineup yeah. of like the old guard who are going to be presenting really great beers that we know over decades have been able to satisfy the consumer. I had um, in my Facebook memories photos from Spring Fest pop up over the summer and it was just so funny looking at spring fest was the precursor to the maryland craft beer festival right and it was held at harry grove stadium in frederick uh you know what there was a like then one year the where it went at the fairgrounds. to at the fairgrounds and then it moved to yep. along carroll creek which is definitely by far the best the location best yeah uh, but it was just funny, like looking at the photos, and every attending brewery could be in one photo. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was like sixteen, know, maybe. I, I don't <laughs> even think it was that many. Yeah, it was not many. Yeah, it's amazing, uh, you know, and it says a lot about the success that those those guys kind of late. Those guys, I say that just because the owners were all men at the time, but you know, th those heritage breweries that are around now have done such a great job of laying a foundation for this industry to stand upon. Um, and that's why we have the ability to showcase breweries and planning. We have Mystique, uh, Barrel Brewing, and Logger House, new like upstart brewery that's in planning. They're going to be at this event to showcase their beer just like they were at Maryland Craft Beer Festival. They want people to know that they're coming, and this is a great way for them to interact with the consumer before they even get there. Where where are they going to be? I know I've seen something about that. I think somewhere I'm... in Baltimore County. Okay. Um, 
Les White is from out there, and he does a really great job of working within that community. So I'm not sure exactly if they have a plan on where they're going to be yet, okay. but I, I imagine that that's the area of the state where they'll be opening. And then we've got newer breweries to our guild that are attending. Um, Wyco Street Beer Company uh, in Pigtown. They've got a great lineup of products, super talented brewer, awesome team of people, and they kind of uh, just recently joined our association. The first thing they did, Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, we won in. And awesome. that's great. So um, it's awesome to see that we have kind of this variety of younger businesses, businesses in planning, established businesses who are kind of going through their second and third generation of what their their business life cycle is. And uh, it just truly represents everything that's great to say about Maryland beer. Yeah, it's um, I love what they're doing. Was it the South Baltimore? What are they calling it? The South Baltimore Beer? Uh, the South Baltimore Beer District or That's Brewing it. District. Yeah, with what, Wyco. Um, Checker Spot. Checker Spot. Picket. Picket. And was, Suspended. Yeah. Like it's uh, it's kind of cool out of all those breweries in that area of all joined together to help promote each other. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, we've seen examples of that pop up throughout the country. You've got neighborhoods in Denver that kind of help deal with themselves. I mean, yeah. th- those are all built along kind of like metropolitan, uh, neighborhood guides, but yeah. it still allows them one commonality that they can all talk about and identify as uh, you see it in Richmond, pretty often yeah. you know when you're going through some of those neighborhoods it's really kind of neighborhood pockets of breweries that end up What's being scott's promoted. edition and yeah the, the, those different so it's cool and i think that that initiative um taken by those four breweries in in the pig town area to get that put together uh a it makes a heck of a lot of sense because it puts a focus on local beer right in front of these two huge stadiums that draw national yeah. audiences uh, but it also gives them a great opportunity to activate that neighborhood that they're in and turn it into a destination for people who may have been overlooking it for a while. Yeah, Baltimore's starting to take off. They kind of like it's weird how long Baltimore languished from the amount of breweries there. Yeah. I mean it's uh it's one of those things where the the critical mass is the thing that's gonna help, right? And I think seeing initiatives like what they've done with the South Baltimore Brewing District is really kind of cool because it gives people this opportunity to say that's a destination for a reason let me go yeah um and i hope that that works because you know baltimore is a beautiful city it's a city with a lot of history but it's also a city that's got its blemishes and people are aware of that you know some of the feedback that we get is not always the most positive about the venues where we're hosting some of our events because like not everybody necessarily feels like baltimore is a place that they want to be um, but we see it as a place where we need to be because it's the hub for all things that have been cultural yeah. to Maryland for so long. Other than Frederick, because well, Frederick's yeah, I mean, definitely better. As a Frederick <laughs> resident, I, I'll, I'll reserve my comments, but I I love Canton Waterfront Park. It's a great place. Uh, it is a beautiful It's right on the water. It's second only to um, Carroll Creek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one, the one thing that I really enjoy most is, you know, the morning of those events that we host out there. Every time we do the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, I get there pretty much right when the sun's kind of coming up. And you just get this feeling of, like, the energy is coming with the sunrise over the water. And you know that there's going to be this crowd of several thousand people who are there just to enjoy great beer and have a party. And then they come. 
and it's awesome. Yeah. You know, we have a great party. Everybody's so happy to be there. Everybody's like catching up with old friends and you walk away having had great conversations, really tasty beer. And then you get to go do something fun, either in the city or go to your next favorite local brewery and have a good time there. Are there going to be enough porta potties? Always. <laughs> there wasn't the one year. Always, at least allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that is uh, that that's one great thing about all the Maryland beer festivals too. You definitely always take feedback from the previous year's. Um, festival and adapt to continuously improve absolutely the, the, these two big events every year we're really fortunate uh, our events director abby does an incredible job of making sure that any kind of thing that's brought up uh, regarding either how you know one of the things we hear a lot is oh it took forever to get through the gates right who wants to stand in line at a beer festival and wait just to get in so that they can go stand in line and wait to get a beer yeah. so you know when Abby got that feedback, the priority was, what are we doing to make the gates move faster? What did we do? We got those really awesome bracelets that have the drawstring on them rather yeah. than taping. That saves us like 10 seconds per person. Yeah. And that 10 seconds means that we're moving through people a whole lot faster. And we started getting to the point where we like try to race ourselves like a NASCAR pit crew or something, <laughs> trying to get people <laughs> through the gates now. So, you know, at Maryland Craft Beer Festival, I was in charge of one of the gates down on the creek. Boom, I got to make my call. Hey, we cleared our crowd already, and it's only been 15 minutes. You know, and it's <laughs> like, oh man, we we were at 21. And and it's kind of fun because we get to be like kind of jazzed on the fact that we're yeah. delivering what the consumer has asked for. Uh, and tried to make that event better for them just through that one lens. Then porta potties. Yes, we'll add more porta potties. That's I something think that no we can matter do. what, there aren't enough. Sure. <laughs> there, I don't think you could unless you hit a ratio of one to one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, they used to say for big events it's like uh one to ten or something like that. Yeah. One one to fifteen. And I think that we've got it down to like one to seven. So <laughs> uh, we try to make sure that there's ample facilities for people. We want everybody to be comfortable. There can't always be a porta potty that's following you though. Yeah. So like you may have to walk <laughs> and plan accordingly. Like, you know, your six six samples, maybe think about making yeah. it towards the bathroom before you get six more samples. Yeah. Don't wait until it's right. close to an emergency right. to go the go get in line. And everybody who's sampling is over twenty one, so we should be able yeah. to figure that out by now. But you know, I've got a six year old, I know how it goes. <laughs> um all so, right, so I think yeah, we have everything for uh, give the what's the um, date, times, and sure. website for that again. November fourth at Canton Waterfront Park in Baltimore. That's at three thousand and one Boston Street. Um, the event will run from noon to five. Beer Geek Pass holders get admitted at noon, and they have a, an exclusive session until one thirty, and that's when we'll allow the uh, standard general admission tasting room or tasting pass holders to come in. And a lot of breweries have things that are only available during that time. Yeah, they'll or bring like some really cask limited, options or yeah. limited cans, things like that. So stuff that often go, gets kicked during that. Um, and the ticket's not hour. incredibly expensive for what you get. You get a full size uh, Belgian beer glass usually. Um, you get that extra hour and a half of tasting. Plus, you get three and a half more hours after that, and uh, you get all access to everything that's going on in the event. So. Uh, those are 65 bucks. Uh, well worth it. We've got a $40 ticket for the general tasting pass. And uh, those can both be found at BaltimoreCraftBeerFestival.com. Uh, and you can purchase the tickets right there on the site. 
Get ready for a full day of pure Maryland flavor. Join the Uncapped Podcast and our friends at BAM at the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival on November 4th at Canton Waterfront Park. Savor local brews, groove to live music, and explore amazing vendors. Secure your spot now at BaltimoreCraftBeerFestival.com. Cheers to a taste-filled day. All right, what's the next event on the slate? Well, uh... We wouldn't be doing much if we weren't being gluttons to the punishment, but the very <laughs> next weekend, we're hosting a first-year event um, on behalf of Grown Fortify and the Maryland Distillers Guild to promote Maryland rye whiskey. Um, as part of the 2023 General Assembly session, uh, there was a law that was passed that actually made rye whiskey the official state spirit of Maryland. Uh, it's not something that often happens. They don't do state designations all the time. Um, but Maryland has a really important story. Now to we tell. have a dinosaur and a spirit. We do, and a cake, <laughs> Smith Island cake. I, I didn't know we had a cake too. Um, What's a Smith Island cake? I don't even know what that is. I'm not a Marylander natively. I don't know what it is either. I think it's got some chocolate on it, um, huh. but I'm not sure what it is. But it is the state's official. It's either the official dessert or the official cake. Is it? Is it like one of those things, like the stupid lemon? mint thing where it's not actually good i don't know i hope i certainly <laughs> hope not I, it has a lot of fans um i haven't tried the peppermint lemon thing it's stupid don't oh, okay i get okay is, everybody remember chris is from pittsburgh i i have been very <laughs> bo- vocal about how stupid that treat in oh my <laughs> i just hear the listeners clicking off now <laughs> screw this guy um, it won't be the first time. <laughs> so the uh, the rye revival is what we're calling this three day um, thing. It's it's a huge celebration of the heritage of Maryland whiskey. Um, this whole thing is all about telling the story that American whiskey's roots are in kind of the colonial um, tapestry. Right, we have all of these folks who came over here and needed a product. Uh, that they could be making and whiskey was the thing that they made and coming out of maryland there was a whole lot of rye added uh i don't know what exactly is in this completely but a smith island cake looks delicious i think it's just chocolate chocolate and fudge and yellow cake but there's like a ton of layers okay let's go find one and get smith island bakery (laughs) Um, Sorry, let's we, go back we, to what we're I actually don't think that we about. have a Smith Island uh, vendor coming to Rye <laughs> Revival, uh, but we may look into one now because that sounds f- fabulous. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I'm just trying to kind of convey that this, this history of rye whiskey in Maryland is truly part of the story of Maryland distilling. Um, and this goes all the way back to the 18th century. This is not a new thing. Was... Like I know, I know it was big in Maryland. It was mainly because rye was the abundant crop, right? In in Maryland, at the, in that time frame, was rye whiskey invented in Maryland? Though rye whiskey did? is something that is a little bit nebulous. Okay, um, it was marketed most efficiently and effectively out of Maryland. Okay, is my understanding. It seems as though the rye additions kind of started in what was Western Virginia and Maryland, and Pennsylvania, like just regionally. Well, yeah, because there's the Monongahela. The and the Mon, it was Mon Whiskey, basically, yeah. is what the story was originally. And okay. it was high, it was basically whiskey with a high rye bill. Okay. Um, at least that's the way that I understand 
kind of how this story has been. Yeah, because there was, a, and that could just been usurped by Pittsburgh area because of the whiskey rebellion right. and all that that took place there. Right. So all of all of this, it's at least a mid Atlantic. Yes, this, origin, this region origin. owns it, but the name Maryland Rye is what it ended up being. Okay, so Maryland Rye was actually a style of whiskey. Okay, um, or a stylistic is, approach to whiskey. And it, but so is is the Monongahela Rye like a recognized style also, or is I that don't just think a, so. like think kind that, of like a branding? I kind thing? of understand that that's what it was called initially. Oh, okay. Like the the region was called that, and a lot of it had to do with barrel aging. So this is where we end up with bourbons because they had to go through all these passes um, through the mountains, traveling with this yeah. whiskey. They put it in barrels to get it there. Before that, they were drinking a lot of white whiskeys. Oh. So this is where you start to see barrel imparting uh, flavor on whiskey and how that becomes a thing. It's getting jostled around, right? So like we start talking about, oh, remember how the IPA was in the uh, the barrel <laughs> on the ship and it was jostled around with all those hops? Like, Shut up, nerd. It's it's. <laughs> man, you're going to stuff me in my locker and steal my lunch money. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things that has a really fascinating history. And the coolest part about what we have going on with this three-part event series is that the first event that we're doing is a symposium all about rye whiskey. And we are featuring speakers who are going to be telling the story of the history of Maryland rye. We have T.W. Wright coming to give a really great historical talk about Maryland rye. Um, but to your point, rye hasn't only been... Uh, it hasn't only stayed stationary in Maryland. So because there's a national uh, movement to make rye, we have folks like a New York Times reporter named Clay Risen, who's also written a book on the history of American rye whiskey. I think I've met him. He's going to come and give our keynote address for this thing. And then we've got sessions and breakouts. Why that, wasn't I asked to do anything? Uh, I can. It's a good question. I wasn't on the planning committee for the <laughs> seminar. I also have no expertise in. <laughs> no, but you've got a buttery smooth voice. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 built this thing out with these panels and these breakouts at this symposium that are going to be noticeably excluding me. Totally incredible for whiskey enthusiasts, like anybody who wants to know more about rye. And you know, you and I are nerds when it comes to this kind of stuff. We know that there are more of us out there. Yeah. So uh, I think enthusiasts will be excited to come and learn about what's happening, but it's also going to be an opportunity for professionals uh, and whether they're owners or distillers or blenders or even reps of uh, distilleries to come out and learn about rye whiskey. What is its true heritage? Why is it so valuable and important, not only to the overall craft spirits industry, but specifically to the industry in our region. And we hope that we convert a lot of people into, uh, you know, rye evangelists rather than just rye enthusiasts that's um in a common thing i'll talk about to any distillery i have on especially maryland ones is uh, like kind of get it getting their prediction of how rye is going to continue to be in in the popularity of compared to bar bourbon like mm -hmm. if they think Rye has the potential. Rye whiskey has the potential to hit like the sought after categories that bur some bourbons find themselves into. I think and it's it seems, there. yeah, it seems like an ever growing category of whiskey that is Absolutely. getting more. I, it's definitely it, it's way more of a divisive flavor. So I don't know if it would ever get to the same level of 
popularity. Although, I mean, you could say the same thing about IPAs, and they're the best, <laughs> the it. best selling beer style. So I guess it's possible that it could follow follow the same kind of thing where it's <laughs> 15 years ago when i started uh working in beer it was you know if you can handle drinking an ipa you got some hair on your chest yeah. all this kind of <laughs> stuff right like it was almost like a badge of honor that yeah you can, oh I, I love those hoppy beers and yeah. you know obviously the the palate and the consumer experience has changed a little bit but i think with rye it kind of is the it's the spirit that bridged the gap between the whiskeys that people may have been used to continentally um, and the whiskeys that people ended up drinking in America. And it got us to bourbon. Did um, did I tell you about when I went to Wayne Gretzky's distillery? No, I don't think that you did. So when I was in Canada in it was the end of July, I think I went. We went like one of the only things on my list of things to do was to go to um, 99, the Gretzky's distillery and winery and as you can see, 99 is on absolutely everything i'm sure uh, <laughs> and the the whiskey was really good but it was it was just funny that well there there was so there was um a group of people from baltimore that were there also so we sat at the bar ordered a flight to taste um it's great great whiskey and they have of course the most maryland i mean the most canadian thing ever is Wayne Gretzky's whiskey aged in maple syrup barrels. Love it. <laughs> and it was it was good. It was really good. Um was it the great one? No, what did they call I they, I just think they called it 99 mm. aged in. <laughs> Cause the 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 marquee, their like flagship whiskey is just called 90, 99. I don't think the great one was on anything. Yeah, because they recognize them use better. Yeah. <laughs> and so Man, you were on fire today. <laughs> so, so uh, my brother-in-law and I are sitting at the bar, and the the guy leading the tasting comes over, and he was like just borderline of being pompous, and so yeah, brother-in-law or the no rep? the 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 rep from um like you could tell he just really wanted to exert his uh whiskey knowledge over top of mm. anyone who was there i've never experienced so, that anywhere a- afterwards my brother-in-law uh told me he was very proud of me for controlling myself <laughs> because he like the whole time was talking to us like we knew nothing right. about whiskey at all and like the the comment the thing he said that almost pushed me over the edge of just being like look dude I know a, a little, little bit. I have signed bottles of whiskey as the distiller. Right. <laughs> Not that I actually know how to still, but I participated in the making of, of whiskeys that have been sold to the public. But so when he asked us where we were from, my brother said Pittsburgh and I, and I told him Maryland and he was like, oh, so you guys probably drink bourbon. Well, I'm going to teach you about real whiskey. We make it with rye. And I just went like, <laughs> <laughs> like, let me teach you yeah. about Maryland rye whiskey. There you go. And, but I controlled myself, and well, I just let him teach me about You should rye. send a uh, cordial invitation to him to come to the Rye Revival. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a great opportunity for this person to learn about real rye whiskey. Or just rye whiskey in general. Yeah. Why not? Um so yeah, we're we're excited about that. I don't think that any of the folks that are going to be presenting on any of our panels are going <laughs> to give you quite the experience that Chris yeah. had in uh, this distillery in Canada. Um, 
but it's going to be great. I mean, the, the breakout sessions are awesome. We have a session that's going to discuss, you know, what, what goes into good rye, like the raw ingredient. How do you grow good rye? How do you choose strains of rye to be used for whiskey production uh, or beverage production in general? What are the pitfalls of rye? Um, rye is it's an interesting crop. to work with. It's well, not an, impossible, but very difficult to... Especially if you're trying to malt. Yeah. Um, but we'll have well, somebody even there just malting uh, expertise. Mashing yes. rye is very hard to deal with because it's, it's sticky. sticky. Um, it makes a mess. The thing that we're excited about with that one is that it really is going to kind of give people the line from grain to glass, and that's cool. Like We want to have the experience of the farmer, the maltster, yeah. Uh, we want to have the experience of the distiller, the person who's selecting that rye and why, and then we want to know what it's going to do when it gets into a bottle. So that's going to be a great talk. We've got a talk celebrating all these uh, women who are kind of leading the way in this new age of American whiskey. Um, women are becoming a whiskey drinker very quickly when it comes to looking at uh, kind of the demographics of consumption. And we want to celebrate that. So we have some really strong women that are going to be coming out and talking about their brands, their experiences, what they do as professionals, and what they do as kind of uh, trendsetters in in the whiskey world. We've got some really, really cool talks from people who have revolutionized whiskey production. Todd Leopold from Leopold Brothers will be there um, talking about three-chamber stills and kind of why that's inherently something that people need to be considering when it comes to their uh, rye production. And uh, it's just going to be a great day. Opportunities to taste, smell, explore, and then gather with people. That one is a very limited capacity event, though. Because we only of have, where it's located? It's located at the Maryland Center for uh, History and Culture. And that uh, location, I think we have like max 150 capacity so okay. if people are interested in learning about that um make sure you get your tickets early uh it's not an inexpensive pass i think it's it's either 120 or 150 bucks for that day but it's a day long it starts at 9 a.m we're going to roll out of there at four in the afternoon and uh that's what the 2023 rye symposium looks like there's all kinds of options for tickets they range from $35 well, to yeah, $250. So the $35 ticket is for Rockabilly Rye, which will be on Saturday. That's a Rockabilly Music Festival with rye whiskey and other spirits there. Um, we're going to talk about that one in just a second. Then there's the Friday Night Rye, which is a grand tasting of uh, rye and bourbon at the Topside Hotel Revival. Uh, so we'll actually be in like this elevated bar above the city. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, we're really looking forward to that because this is the showcase piece, right? This is for the people who just want to come, learn about rye and bourbon, taste it, experience it, as they are at a grand tasting of curated uh, whiskey products. There will be a cocktail bar, opportunity to buy bottles, take it home, and chat one-on-one with the producer or the owner of those distilleries. We've got some great guest distilleries coming in. Um we're trying to nail down exactly which brands are going to be represented, but we have some really, really cool stuff in the pipeline. So keep an eye open over the next few days. But that grand tasting is going to be an opportunity to just get out there and really see what uh, what all of whiskey has to offer. Uh, really cool chance to explore rise and bourbon side by side and see how that works i was really excited for this event one the first time i, th- I mean i think i th- called you like the yeah. first time just the <laughs> i think you 
Yeah, the save the date came out or just posted like the save the date with just yeah. Rockabilly Rye and the logo on it. That's and it. I called you instantly. And then, uh, so that's Friday, uh, November 10th, okay, is both the symposium and the Friday Night Rye. Saturday, November 11th, Veterans Day, we have Rockabilly Rye happening. Now, this is going to happen in Baltimore Peninsula. So as you're coming into the city, um, you'll see it over there kind of near the uh, uh, where Sagamore is located and all that okay. kind of stuff. Um, so they're developing that area out quite a bit. And um, it's a great part of the city it's to be, be the headquarters for, I can't remember, whatever company bought there's, Sagamore. There's, there's <laughs> a lot to, to be said about that location, which is really cool. Uh, we have a great partner in the venue. The folks that own that property are doing a great job to make sure that it becomes a destination awesome. for an event like this. Yeah, I'm. I look forward to seeing that done. It's gonna be. So it was cool. very confusing when when I went there uh, several months ago when it was in the heat just like of construction. Yeah, there's just stuff everywhere yeah. and like signs. I don't think were completely clear of where to go. And I mean, I got it. They do like the yeah. jug handle there, which yes. you only see in New Jersey uh, so or that or, or Pittsburgh. So yeah. I should have known how to yeah. do it, but I could not figure it out. You guys are a jug handle state, huh? Yeah, there there were like two right right near where I grew up. That's wild. Um, I guess maybe Philly and Jersey is where I'm used to seeing those. So yeah, um, the the venue is going to be great. We're going to have three really great um, rockabilly acts on. You know, believe it or not, DC and Baltimore have two big pockets of rockabilly enthusiasts who uh, kind of it's interesting. Yeah, carry <laughs> carry the weight for the East Coast when it comes to like. Uh, I guess the uh, collection of rockabilly fans that are there. So we're excited about it. We've got a local band from Frederick here at the Rockasonics. We've got another band called the Fleabags uh, from Western Maryland. And then we've got uh, a third act that we're waiting to fully confirm um, that'll be playing with us. So we're excited about that. That event's cool because it's rockabilly. It's rye whiskey, obviously, but it's also open to breweries who are producing uh, rye beers. So there will be uh, breweries with a rye beer there. They'll also have some other offerings, but they have to have a rye. There'll be a cocktail bar. Distilleries participating will have their own cocktails, and it's going to be a representation of all kinds of spirits. So it's not just rye whiskey and bourbon and stuff like that. This is going to have gin, vodka, absinthe if 10th Ward comes. You know, like really cool, interesting um, and unique Maryland-made products and products that are not made in Maryland. So we have some other big brands that will be coming and attending with us. It sounds like an awesome event. And that one's and one of those ones that's like a no-brainer if you want to get out and have a fun time. It's 35 bucks to get in the door. It includes your tastings. It includes the music. It includes admission to the event. We're going to have yeah, tons of uh, vendors available there uh, offering all kinds of different crafts. One of the... Uh, Vendors that's going to be there was rated like the best uh, craft vendor in Baltimore for like vendor trucks and stuff. So oh, we're cool. super excited about that. Uh, we're working with some great event partners to help us get that one stood up because we see that this Rye Revival experience is something that is going to be evergreen and help us tell the story of Maryland Rye as long as we celebrate that Rye is Maryland state spirit. Thankfully, so, it is. Yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, Take that, Canada. The website's all <laughs> uh, the website's all set up. We're getting updates put on there uh, as we speak. Uh, the agenda for the Rye Symposium is up with at least the titles of each one of our 
uh, titles and descriptions and panelists of each one of our um, breakouts and, and uh, presentations. We're actually going to put the times up in the next few days. We're just trying to solidify where everybody's schedule lines up the best. Uh, what is that content. website? The web uh, the website is found at ryerevivalmd.com. Um, all three of those little mini events, the, the Rye Symposium, the Friday Night Rye, and Rockabilly Rye, all the information's on that page. And there's a third day, Sunday, November 12th, we're going to be adding some more information to the website about that, but basically that's the day for local distilleries to be celebrating rye revival. Uh, rye producers throughout the state are going to be offering um, unique experiences in their tasting rooms, are encouraged to offer specials, maybe do different cocktail programs, whatever that might be. So we'll have some, uh, some updates from distilleries about what things they'll be doing to participate, and that day is basically for the consumer and the enthusiast to go and explore these distilleries learn about them in their own uh, environments and just take it all in. Sounds like an awesome event. It's going to be three really fun days. Uh, for anybody that appreciates rye or appreciates whiskey, uh, I think that this is one of those things that you should not be missing. Um, any opportunity you have to go and talk to the maker and learn more about what they're doing or get more education about the product that you really enjoy is a good opportunity, right? So uh, we invite people and encourage people to get on board now um, because, like I said, the uh, the Rye Symposium is very limited in its capacity. The Friday Night Grand Tasting is even more limited than that. So it carries a little bit more of a, a higher price ticket, but it's, again, a sampling event of all of these really yeah. great curated bourbons and ryes with a bar, uh, cash bar for cocktails. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, we'll have some really nice food passed around and it's going to be good. We're, we're wholly, uh, wholly anticipating that this thing is going to be an experience that people are going to be talking about in the whiskey world for the next couple of years. That rounds everything out, right? That rounds us it? out for, uh, for the rest of the year, actually. Um, we're going to roll into the holidays strong. November is Maryland spirits month. So we've got distilleries who are planning fun stuff we've got some retail partners around the state who are looking at doing some interesting interactions uh we've still got um some great things available for folks who are using the passport on the maryland craft beverages app like everything's hammering right now man and it's going really really well the industries are uh you know going through some significant changes, you know, yeah. beer, wine, and spirits. It's not an, it's not an easy industry to be in, but everybody's adapting as best as they can. And, you know, it's sad, especially in the beer side, we've seen some, uh, some tough choices made by brewery owners over the last few months. And, uh, I don't know that that's going to slow down completely. I, you know, I had, um, I had someone on who's like a doom and gloom, uh, guy about, uh, Kios, the podcast, don't open the damn brewery, or how not to open the damn brewery. Nice. <coughs> things like that. And someone I pointed out to him, and he, he sent me, like, the actual numbers. And, like, it it looks, and obviously it, it is a tough time right now, but it is for almost every business. Right. It's just not. It's not just great. this industry, but this yeah, industry does, you know, we're talking about capital-intense businesses yeah. that don't have a ton of uh, accessible cash flow necessarily, and Yes, there are some good margins to be made in tasting rooms, but if you're paying people well and you're doing this yeah. kind of stuff, like they shrink quickly. Yeah, your then, your access to cash diminishes. And but 
but what I pointed out was like there. I mean, I I remember there. There's always been breweries closing, mm-hmm. and there's always been breweries opening. There's just so many more now. So if you look at it from like a percentage standpoint, it, it's a negligible amount of the net more, change. Yeah, they're they're the 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 rate of closures in in relationship to how many there are has stayed almost flat. It's only slightly up. But you could probably point to every industry right now of businesses sure. struggling and having to close. I do think that one of the differences though is uh, when you start talking about the scale of some of these places, right? Well, yeah, there's so when we start talking about I've, volume changes, um, yeah. you know, we have a a promotional fund that was uh, generated through legislation here in Maryland in 2022, and it's just gone into effect, the Maryland Alcohol Manufacturers Promotional Fund, which is a grant program uh, held by our Department of Commerce here in the state that Maryland producers excise taxes fund. When you lose a producer who's making 70,000 barrels of a beer, the excise tax on that 70,000 barrels of beer doesn't go into that fund anymore. So there are some wide-reaching industry concerns, right? Because we need to make sure that the industry is healthy. We want to be a place that's attractive to breweries to come in and produce that kind of volume and to have several breweries who are taking tens of thousands of barrels worth of volume out of the state's equation makes yeah, I, I didn't think of, i didn't think of, of it from nuts, that standpoint. but yeah when we talk about the number of breweries sure we we have a great number of breweries and planning here in the state of maryland and we have a pretty good conversion rate for people who say hey i'm going to open a brewery that become people that say hey i opened a brewery yeah uh you know i'd say we're probably in the the upper 60s to lower 70 percent of the people who show an intent and become a brewery in planning member end up opening their doors but those people aren't going to bring the volume on of some of these brands yeah, that have disappeared up, right yeah it's not going to make up because i don't think people realize the the difference in the amount of beer that someone like a flying dog makes compared to your local right craft brewery like it's the the, there's no comparison. Some of these, the some of these larger breweries are producing the annual production of some of these smaller ones in a month. Yeah, or two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it is. Yeah, it is I didn't think from a tax tax revenue standpoint. And yeah, you know, that maybe that's it. not the best way to look at it, but but that, our I industry mean, has significant economic impact. And yeah. if we're losing that because that those wages aren't being paid here anymore, that volume's not being paid here anymore, we're not getting the the truckers to carry that beer in or out, we start to see that the economic impact starts to lower, and that's not a that's not a success story. Yeah. Um, the industry can remain healthy, but we need the industry to be performing at all times in its best capacity. That and I think sense. that I think that we're doing that now with the the breweries that are here. But you know, just so people are aware, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There's this perception that oh, they've opened a brewery. They must have, they're, they're flush with cash. Capital is nothing that they ever have to worry about. They have access to everything that they need. And I think if you listen to any of the stories from brewery owners who have uh, unfortunately had to close their doors in the last few months, that's not the case. And the yeah. business case for being in a brewery or in a distillery or in a winery is something that you really have to be prepared to make some hard decisions. And you have to be willing to take on a lot of challenges Um as a new entrant. So we, we welcome anybody who has the ambition and the, uh, 
entrepreneurial fortitude to open a brewery or a small distillery or a small winery uh, here in the state of Maryland. We welcome you. We've got a great uh, set of kind of resources put together for people who are approaching this idea, um, and, and we want to hear from people. We, we got a new one opening soon in Frederick. We do. Very, very excited about that. Um, you know, this that's the second brewery this year uh, in Maryland where you've actually just seen it almost like a turnkey yeah. opportunity to, to f- not flip the business but turn the business into something new and kind of revitalize what maybe became too big of a, a challenge for a previous owner or became – something that maybe the the consequences of opening this brewery had deeper consequences on family life or whatever it might be, but to be able to maintain those locations, some of the personnel and the destination as a brewery is critical. Uh, Third Hill Brewing has done a great job of uh, kind of turning the Astro Lab experience into their own experience. I had the, uh, the pleasure of going down and being at their ribbon cutting. Staff's incredible. They still work with Matt Cronin, so the beer game is incredible. Yeah. Uh, the new owners there are amazing, and they know that they're going to be a hub in their community. That's what we want to see. And I think that we're going to hopefully see the same thing with uh, R.A.K. here in, in Frederick. So is it, are they are they going with saying R.A.K.? I don't know Rack? if they're – I'm not sure how they're doing it. I, I know it means random acts of kindness, yeah. so I just assumed that it would be – they're, they're not – there aren't periods in the I don't know. logo, though. Guess when I have uh, Joe on, I will have to ask him that. <laughs> I think people uh, <laughs> are going to do whatever they want. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> people are going to call it what they need to yeah. until there's like a real formal, like, this is how you pronounce our name. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, RAR has done that, and yes. there's still lively debate on whether they are RAR or RAR. Is there, there aren't periods in between RAR either. There aren't, but it at one time did stand for Real Ale Revival. It did. But, I mean, they wear shirt. They have shirts and hats that have RAR spelled out phonetically. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, R-A-W-R. It's R-A-W-R. So I feel like that kind of ends that debate, but it still flares up every once in a while. Well, you have the people who are around at the beginning of the story who know the Real Ale Revival thing and think that maybe it it was always meant to be something else and you know who knows maybe maybe the consumer's um preference to call it rar was what yeah what drives that you never know i don't i don't know that smoothie sours um count as a real ale though stick it on a limb um all right we're you really huh? you're, you're making all the friends today <laughs> <laughs> uh so what, where's the best place to go to stay up to date on all this? Okay, so we don't have a singular destination yet for the entire Maryland craft beverage industry. That is a project that we are working towards. Um, we see that there is a benefit of promoting all three of these industries simultaneously for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is that consumer preferences are not lining up with one drink type anymore. Yeah, there's people right. who, who sample across all three. Sure. If, if I can get a really great canned ready-to-drink cocktail as a beer drinker, I'm going to add that to my repertoire because I can throw it in my cooler, throw it in my fridge, yeah. and I can have it when I want to enjoy it. Um, so, you know, I'm no longer just the craft beer drinker now because I have these cool RTDs or whatever I might have in my uh, fridge, canned wine, whatever I might be doing. 
So we see that there's a lot of bleed over now in between consumer preferences of uh, drink types, and we understand that the consumer probably wants to support all of the local businesses and not just the local breweries, but buy all my wine from somewhere else and all my spirits from somewhere else. I want to support local in general. All of that's to say that right now we have three unique properties, um, each owned by their associations for people to get information about the industries. Marylandbeer.org is our destination for the Brewers Association of Maryland. You can learn all about the nonprofit association there. Look at the map of breweries, get a link to download the app, check out the events that are happening, read the news, uh, you know, check out the new press release from Heavy Seas about their Monocacy Hop uh, collaboration. You know, all of that stuff is served to you at MarylandBeer.org. MarylandWine.com gives you everything you need to know about Maryland wine. And then MarylandSpirits.org is the Maryland Distillers Guild uh, destination. And each of these sites are roughly the same thing resources about news, resources about opening your own business if you're interested in getting involved, and then maps and directories for the members that are that are there. Our maps and our directories on those websites are limited to the members of those associations. These are member-funded groups, so the members are the people yeah. who get promoted on them. Uh, in the Maryland Craft Beverages app, which is funded by our three associations, we have a listing, at least, of every licensee who's open to the public. Uh, but some of those listings will say something like, hey, this is a, uh, a uh, friendly listing, right? Like, it's a listing that we're making for your benefit, um, but you can't check in there. You can't engage with them. Oh, okay. You can't, like, stamp your passport, but you can get, hey, I know that that brewery is down the road. So more like like a business listing entry. It's certainly more directory for the non-members. The members who are paying into it, they get the benefit of having people come in and stamp their passport. They get the benefit of being able to check in there and and do that kind of stuff. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, So just uh, go to whatever app store your device uses and search for Maryland Craft Beverage. MD Craft Beverages. And then check out that app. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, and then if you want to learn more about all the really great stuff that our company does directly with uh, your neighborhood farmer and value-added agriculture business, growandfortify.com um, is our destination. You know, our, our focus is on this value-added ag space, but a majority of our work is done in the craft beverages space. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the website may, uh, may offer you kind of an – a glimpse into what we're doing. Um, but we think that there's a lot there if you're interested in having a conversation about uh, value-added ag and you know what opportunities might be there. We're here to talk. Thank you so much for your time today, Jim. Thank you, Chris. I always love coming in here and chatting with you. I, th- I actually, I have to, um, I have to count. You may be the guest who's been on the most times at this point. I was on one of the early ones too. You were. And the only the old mother guys would be the only ones yeah, that have given us. you a run for your money because they're on at least once every year. Yeah, I gotta look. Have me on with them next time. I will do. That'll that. be fun. I need a reason to uh, hang out with Nick and Keith more often. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thanks, y'all. We hope to see you at one of our events. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. 
And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.